The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods. Of course, this is John McAndrew, your sometimes guest host. And today's show is going to be a very interesting one. We're going to talk to Ralph Carson, who's written a book called The Brain Fix, What's the Matter with Your Gray Matter? And he's going to talk about improving uh, memory and moods and mind and and really a lot of things about the brain that we all sort of think we know. I think he's going to make it clear for us. And Ralph has a, has a PhD. He's been involved in clinical treatment of addictions, obesity, and eating disorders for well over 30 years. Uh, he attended Duke University medical school, also uh, has a Ph.D. in nutrition from Oakwood College and a Ph.D. in nutrition from Auburn University. And he, he offers a, a unique approach to health and wellness in the brain, and it's a, it's a book that even a layman like myself can understand. And uh, he's going to talk to us about uh, health and wellness and exercise and nutrition and how they all affect our brain health and Ralph is very uh, wanted all around the country to speak and do workshops, and uh, he works with the Academy Medical Systems, where he's developed workshops for professionals throughout the U.S. on topics such as exercise therapy, sports nutrition, uh, eating disorders, which is really a, uh, a big part of his, his work, and childhood obesity. So, Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Um, in reading your book, what I found the most pleasant, probably the most pleasant part of the experience was, is that I could understand this, that it was written in a way and in a form that, that, that made sense to me and that I could follow. And you've got these toolboxes that we can use. And the brain is really the last frontier in a way, isn't it? It, it is, um, and uh, it's, it's amazing because it is the, the critical part of, of um, the workings of the entire body, and yet I would say probably only in the last 15 years that we've really been able to examine and see what it actually does and how to assist it. Mm-hmm. So why did you get, we'll, get uh, we'll talk a little bit later in the show. I know you're a program director and you work with American Addiction Centers. You have a program in a facility called FitRx, which uh, works with eating disorders, um, binge eating, a lot of that stuff. But before we get to all that, what, what, uh, what drew you to the brain? And I know you didn't start off thinking you were going to be working in specifically this field, did you? 
Well, exactly, and, and I, I think that it's, it's so true that oftentimes people choose to do in the world uh, is born out of their own personal journey, and, and my own background was that uh, I've had so many um, relatives very close to me, my own mother uh, passed away from a uh, cerebral vascular hemorrhage, and grandparents had dementia and Alzheimer's. I've had numerous uh, relatives that struggled with addictions, certainly alcoholism and, and cigarettes, to name a few, and then my sister. Uh, passed away from a devastating uh, brain cancer that's called glioblastoma multiformis. So it's always been this kind of kind of query of of how does this happen and what can we do about it and and my kind of journey started in the field of pathology, which is really the study of disease, what causes disease. And what mm-hmm. was very frustrating for me in those early years and, and doing not only surgical specimens, but more importantly, autopsies, we very rarely um, looked at the brains of people who died. And we didn't look at them because it uh, basically didn't tell us a whole lot in terms of the instruments and the data that we had at the particular time. So the, the frontier of really understanding the brain began to open up really in the uh, early 90s with, with a, an advancement in terms of brain scanning and imaging. And, and then it became clear a lot of the things that we learn in therapy, how they work, uh, as well as what to do about them. And since my background was more in the wellness field, particularly nutrition mm-hmm. and exercise and sleep and behavior, that it, I was given the opportunity to apply all this knowledge to basically the workings of the brain. You talk about uh, in the 90s and uh, neuroimaging, and it's something that I think a lot of myself and many of our listeners who probably have had the experience of our brain being looked at. And um, this really changed things just in the fact that we could see. Um, I, I know uh, we've had other people on the show tell us that you could, we could see evidence of cognitive therapy working in parts of our brain. But the big deal was that we used to think it was, in your book, you talk about this unchangeable stone. Explain that a little bit to us. Right. Well, you know, back even in the 70s when we were kind of looking at the brain, we were misled to believe that once you lose a nerve cell, it's lost forever. So there's really no corrections or that can be made. It's kind of set. It, by the time you're two years old, your brain is set to what it's going to be. And the nuances that we found is that the brain is very forgiving. It regenerates cells as well as you can change the wiring of the cell. And in other words, people can actually change the way they think. So it is not so much that when we talk about the disease being unmanageable because we can't change it, it is basically that we can do things that basically help us to, to think different and act different, and I think that's exciting. Uh, one of the uh, poster children for um, uh, brain regeneration was an uh, individual who was in a uh, car accident in 1983, um, mm-hmm. and he uh, lost speech and uh, movement and was in a coma actually for 19 years. And after that period of time, he came out of his coma. And today, not that he is able to, to speak very well or move very well, but he can speak and move, which just shows you the incredible regeneration properties that we have in our nervous system. Mm-hmm. So we get started here. We know um, what I do know, which is very little. The brain weighs about a little less than three pounds. Correct. And I know now that it's, you know, it can change. In fact, it's always changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... 
You know, kind of walk us through, in the book you call it Brain 101, some really simple things that all of us can understand that are, that are happening. And, and with the influx of antidepressants and medications, we hear a lot of terms and we hear a lot of things, serotonin and dopamine and things. But just go through very simply uh, for the rest of this segment, Brain 101, just the simple things that we can learn. Well, I think that the most important thing is to to picture that um, we have three levels of the brain, and we can mm-hmm. look at those in terms of of um, differences and and um, um, maturing in terms of the species. So we have the most primitive part of the brain that's sometimes at the bottom or the base of the brain, sometimes called the hind brain, that is uh, referred to as reptilian brain. Everything, reptiles on up have this part of their brain. And it's, it's basically physical functioning. Most of us are familiar with what we call a fight-or-flight response or a freeze response and our breathing and heart rate. And that's all automatic. That's a physical response. We move to the second layer. That's sometimes called the um, limbic system, emotional brain brain, or it's also referred to as mammalian brain, so mammals on up have this, and this is where we deal with emotions, and the way that this part of our brain is set up, it's it's to, if we have unpleasant experiences, then we seek out pleasant experiences to balance them off. And then we move even further to the neocortex, which is predominantly um, nuances for human behavior, and we can begin to explain um, what a human being needs to do to kind of correct and rectify uh, problems in that area because humans have what we call the ability to think and act in the future. And if you do this positively, that you would call hope. If you do it negatively, that would be called worry. So we see this kind of ebb and flow, or perhaps what they call a yin and yang in terms of this, um, our behaviors. Worry basically breaks down the brain if it's, if it's long-term uh, problems or unresolved stress, and hope basically builds it up. So if we were to look at the brain, and just even in the most crudest imaging, we'd see that when we think about uh, brain damage, it really is holes in the brain. We're missing cells. So the area in the brain that produces memories, which makes sense, we're making new memories, this is where the stem cells are. And if we stimulate those to proliferate into mature cells, they will migrate to those areas where they're lost, depending on the therapy or the thought process that we go through in in terms of recovery. So we can actually regenerate cells by stimulating cells that are already there to mature and then move and transfer to areas of the cortex. So if we are hopeful, we can basically produce new cells, new density of cells in an area of the brain called the left prefrontal cortex. And if anybody is familiar with a very um, exciting movement in psychology, it's called positive psychology, and they talk about it as happiness. What is happiness? This is where you get new cells in your left prefrontal cortex, and it's kind of stimulated by basically therapy that gives you hope or the second thing that this part of the brain is truly unique for humans is it makes us have very strong relationships. In other words, for us to exist on this earth, we have to work with one another, and that's kind of integrated and innate in our being. So relationships and hope are the keys. Worry and fears basically becomes the detriment. It's not that we don't need to be worried and fear because we need to survive. We need to be aware of dangers. 
But if this becomes too imbalanced, then our whole brain starts operating in that fear section, and it tears down the hope and happiness. So we begin to work in the midbrain more like a, um, a primitive species, and this is where addictions take place. We begin to come out of, out of uh, working with others and into ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about this, and if you could explain this a little more to us about neuroimaging, you're actually able to see these processes uh, happen, and and you actually can see the results of of uh, hope and the positive things happening. Right. How exciting is that? To well, be it's, just, it's, just, that? it's just really exciting because I think I think we need. Um, more than theory sometimes when we're trying to take on a behavior that's kind of abstract. So anytime you can see, feel, and measure something, it makes it more real. So if we say that this behavior is going to produce hope and happiness, it's, it's just kind of abstract. If we can say this area of the brain is deficient in cells, and now we're going to go through this whole process of therapy, and we're going to develop and, and stimulate cell growth, then we can actually go into the brain and we can count the number of cells. So this technique is far advanced beyond spec scans that we've heard about or, or mm-hmm. um, a computerized topography, um, but it's basically able to count the number of cells. It's called voxel-based morphology. And then a lot of times we talk about these circuits. We don't really talk about a particular location, even in terms of language and, and speech and, and uh, memory. We don't talk about this area of the brain is there. It's a circuit that's all around the brain. So with looking at the wiring of the brain, the circuitry, we can see how we can create new wiring through a technique that's called uh, diffusion tensor MRIs. So you can see a connectedness in wiring, you can see new cell growth, and you can kind of measure, is this really causing this improvement? Um, and so those are, are two of the really, you know, um, nuances in terms of the field that go beyond, which, which are really good techniques called a PET scan, where you can actually look at the number of receptors. For example, most people are vulnerable to an addiction. We can actually see this in their brain because they have fewer receptors for dopamine. So they're going to be more vulnerable to addiction. We can see that on a PET scan. On an MRI, it's like watching a moving picture of what is really happening, what areas are getting involved and are stimulated or activated during this thought process. So it gives us kind of a big whole picture, almost like watching a movie. Well, uh, when we come back, we're going to end up this segment, and we, we've got a good explanation now of this. I kind of see it as an ice cream cone. I don't know why, with the, the three parts of the brain as they build up. And uh, when we come back, let's talk about the different chemicals in the brain and the circuitry and how different things affect it, because you talk a lot in the book about about stress and blood sugars uh, and, of course, uh, addiction. Okay. We'll be right back. We're talking with Ralph Carson. His book is The Brain Fix. What's the matter with your gray matter? We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare today is full of complex questions and even more complex answers. On top of making choices about health care, how do you know that you're making the right choices? Natural medicine or conventional medicine? Should I seek a second opinion? What if I just don't feel right about the treatment I am recommended? Get the answers by tuning in to Rising Through It with Dr. Danielle McDuff, live every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. This is John McAndrews, and we've been talking with Ralph Carson, and we're talking about his book, The Brain Fix, and I want the folks listening to know they can go to uh, Health Communications Incorporated, which is hcibooks.com. You can find Ralph's book there. Uh, where else can you find the book, Ralph? Well, I think it's, it's in bookstores in uh, Amazon. I think uh, Google Books. I think it's anywhere you look for a book. It's, uh, it's, right, it's right. Uh, everywhere. <laughs> Well, that's good. We left off, uh, and we've, there's going to be so much information, so you have to get the book, really, to, to soak all this up. But uh, I want to talk to you about the chemicals in the brain, and, and you go into detail about what blood sugars and stress do. But we first need to understand about this, this electricity going around in our brain, which you touched on right before we left the last segment, and the circuitry, which is all dependent upon some pretty basic nutrition. Is that fair to say? or is that It, it really is. You know, I think that uh, people sort of want sometimes something that's, you know, miraculous or different or, uh-huh. or in a strange plant. And uh, I, I think that's the beauty of, of kind of understanding this whole aspect is how simplistic it is, but we've got to follow some guidelines. So I always like the fact that I can give a talk and people can start to add these things that day. They don't have to buy special products. They can't use the excuse, I'm not, I can't afford these foods. <laughs> I mean, the, the simplicity of working with what's available, and it's more about, um, you know, the combinations than it is really about a specific superfood. Mm-hmm. So serotonin and dopamine, mm-hmm. these are like two words that get thrown around a lot, and, and we all, none of us know exactly what all that means, but these are very important things, and, and tell us, you know, the, the most important ones that we need to know about. 
Well, I, I think, again, they're very complex, so to, to, but to yeah. simplify for the layperson, just, okay, what does this mean? The best way to think about serotonin, which I think is critical, uh, especially with a world that is very um, prone towards depression, and that you want to think of serotonin as a chemical that produces calming. So if you picture, let's see, uh, a nerve connecting with another nerve, they're not going to touch. There's a space in between them called a synapse, like an ocean between the two ends of the nerves. And at the end of one of the nerves, it collects this chemical called a neurotransmitter, in this case being serotonin, and it's going to be thrown out of the cell, much like a pitching machine, across this synapse to a, a catcher, which is a receptor. And when that mm-hmm. chemical attaches to the receptor, then you get a response. In the case of serotonin, you feel calm and you feel centered. So if you put this in perspective and you think, well, you said this is the mammalian brain where all this kind of is taking place. If I'm a mammal and I'm grazing in a field and I notice there's a predator, then I think, you know, I'm the calmest when I'm sleeping. But if I know there's a predator around, I do not want to be sleeping. (laughs) So I begin to basically use up my serotonin so I'll be hyper vigilant and I won't sleep in order to protect myself. But then I could die if I don't sleep. So what this nerve starts doing, it starts to take that serotonin back in to the first cell, and it doesn't connect to the receptors. So now instead of feeling centered or calm, you feel down. Another word for down is depressed. So that you can either take a drug, which we call a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, prevent it from being taken back up and stay in the space, or you can basically learn how to cope, and then you build up your stores and you're not depressed. So that kind of explains a little bit of the therapy part. That part of therapy, which we call cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness, is to really make us contain and save more of our serotonin so it makes us calmer. Now, nutritionally, serotonin or any of the other neurotransmitters we talk about, they're called monoamines. Mono meaning single, amine meaning it's an amino acid. So the way to think of this is that all words are made up of letters. And all proteins are made up of amino acids. And so a single amino acid makes a single neurotransmitter. In the case of serotonin, it's made from the single amino acid tryptophan. So tryptophan enters your brain, and then it's reconfigured into this chemical we call serotonin. And people might get the the thought that, well, that makes sense because turkey contains a lot of tryptophan and that's going to make me sleepy and that fits. Well, it's not that simple. That's kind of an urban myth. Uh, What happens Mm -hmm. is, is that when you take in a simple carbohydrate, it produces so much insulin, it allows tryptophan to rapidly enter in and for the moment calm you, but then you're going to have a low and you're going to want more. So it really is not something that you want to consume a lot of sugar, but it is calming at least in the moment. And that's why people sometimes get, uh, you know, dependent on it or, or feel like I need that. I need the sugar to self-soothe. And when you talk about dopamine, dopamine really is the chemical that stimulates pleasure. Um, so... That if my serotonin's low, and that's an unpleasant experience, then my body's going to seek a pleasant experience that's so going to seek to put out dopamine. And dopamine, like serotonin, is made from an amino acid. So the amino acid that is made from is conversion of tyrosine to phenylalanine and then to dopamine and then to norepinephrine. And dopamine makes us feel good. And so if I have a lot of stress in my life and I've depleted my serotonin, then it's going to make me seek out dopamine. And in the addiction... 
The problem is, is that the addict has fewer receptors to dopamine, so they need more dopamine. So just going and looking at the sunset or petting a dog isn't going to produce enough dopamine for the addict. They've got to go for the big guns, and that's where we get involved with process addictions, but more importantly, chemical addictions, to produce more dopamine to balance out the imbalance of too little serotonin. I, I know there are causes to, you mentioned the lack or the reduction of dopamine receptors in an alcoholic or an addict or, uh, you know, other addictions. Mm-hmm. What have, uh, you know, what, what are the things that cause the lack of those receptors? Well, there's two things. The first is that I really believe that people are genetically vulnerable to an addiction. So they are born with what we call a reward deficiency syndrome. They have fewer what we call D2 receptors. There's a genetics that you can do. It's called the, um, uh, it's an allele, um, the A1 allele, that basically shows that this will be deficient. So if I have deficient, then I am prone to an addiction. I can live my entire life without an addiction, but I'm prone to an addiction. Then if we take on that addiction, then the body dumps too much dopamine, and it causes a down-regulation of those receptors, and we need more of the drug to make us feel good, and most people know that's tolerance. And eventually, we destroy so many receptors that it doesn't help us to feel better, but if we don't have it, we feel worse. We call that withdrawal. So those receptors that we lost as a result of the consequence of participating in our addiction, those will return so we can have full recovery. But the ones we never had will never go there, so we'll always be vulnerable to an addiction. Mm-hmm. And beyond the dopamine, and uh, you, you mentioned GABA in here, and, mm-hmm. and that's really an interesting thing because I've heard so much about GABA, especially nowadays in relation um, to Parkinson's disease and some really scary things. Can, can you just enlighten us a little bit about what GABA is and what it does? Well, you know, GABA is a very complicated molecule, and really serotonin don't mean it much easier because when you're talking about serotonin, and remember I said the receptors, well, there's probably about 21 different receptors. That's why we call these drugs selective serotonin because it's selecting on certain receptors. We talk about Uh dopamine, we have probably another 20 or so. But when we talk about GABA, now we're talking about 250 different combinations of receptors, and they work differently in different parts of the brain, and they work sometimes by inhibiting the inhibitor. So it's very multi. So when we really get into very complex kind of um, uh, pharmacological drugs that you'll hear these things called antipsychotics, well, now you're playing a real kind of cocktail in terms of how these GABA receptors work in different parts of the brain, and then you're balancing it off with other neurotransmitters like glutamate and histamine as well as serotonin dopamine. So it gets really complex, and, and that's why it's so important for psychiatrists to get verbal feedback because it's not like we can go in and take a blood sample and saying you're low in this or you're high in that. It's more behaviorally related. So GABA plays a real role uh, I think, uh, for one example, in terms of individuals who may have problems with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or in the attic where they have this compulsivity and they basically, guess, if they think or crave, then basically GAB is responsible for that whole process. Now we've introduced something called naltrexone, and naltrexone takes away that craving because it's going to work on that GABA. 
So uh, GABA is, um, is a complicated molecule, but something that plays a critical role. In fact, when we look at the hierarchy of all these neurotransmitters, which I could name numerous ones, mm-hmm. is that probably about 90% are glutamate, and probably 5% of the remaining are GABA, and then the other 5% is made up of this host of ones that we have talked about. Right. So you start to work with a person, and let's go to the your brain fix toolbox for the end of this section, and you kind of want, you want us to be aware that anything that's healthy for us from the neck down is going to be healthy for us from the neck up. But we have to also believe that the brain can change, and we we're all really good at at exercising and um, you know lifting weights and tightening up our abs and all that stuff. You want us to know we can do the same thing with our brain. Exactly. And I, mm-hmm. and I think, and this is, this is the model that I would like as a takeaway message for people, is there's really probably about four ingredients and three phases to the brain recovering, the brain healing, the brain changing. The first is, is that, just like you said, that I've got to work the body, I've got to work the muscles. I can eat all the food I want, but if I don't work out, the muscles won't get bigger. So the working out for the brain is pretty much the, the behavioral changes, the psychotherapy, the habit changes, the mindfulness, and so forth. So you've got to stimulate. You've got to stimulate this growth and change. And the key ingredient, though, is none of that will happen if the respondent, if the patient, if the client doesn't believe in that process. So you can say all you want about do this and this will happen. If the patient doesn't believe it, you're not going to see this basically change in the brain. But even when you believe it and you do the behaviors and you practice the behaviors, you practice the habits, nothing's going to happen because you've got to think of that process like seeds. I take seeds and I just throw them on the floor. They won't grow. And everybody says, well, of course not. They need nutrition. They need soil. They need uh-huh. water. They need sunlight. Well, it's the same thing. I'm always very critical of treatment centers that just deal with behaviors because they have to look at least in part to the nutrition. And they say, well, we are because we have a chef with a white hat. No, they've got to look at what really we're talking about with growth. And when I go into a lot of treatment centers, um, I'll say, what do you think is the most important nutrient for the brain to heal? and they'll spit out protein. Everybody thinks protein's wonderful, or they'll spit out vitamins and minerals or certain herbs or this or that, and they miss the, the quintessential ingredient, which is, to their amazement, is sugar. Now, of course, I'm not talking table sugar. I'm talking yep. glucose. Well, that's, you know, we'll, we'll close this segment with that because that really opens a lot of... Uh doors to talk about sugar, our misunderstanding of that. And the next, the next chapter in your book is Know Your Brain's Worst Enemies. And we'll pick up there and we come back. Again, we're talking with Ralph Carson. His book is The Brain Fix, and it's available everywhere. And it's uh, published by Health Communications Incorporated. We'll be right back with Ralph Carson. listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Fitness is important to keep your body in tip-top shape now and aging gracefully for the future. The Fitness Momentum Show with Coach Michael Merlino is designed to be your guide to fitness and running, whether you're a beginner or ready to run your next marathon. By paying attention to and following the tips offered by Michael and his guests, you'll be able to essentially be your own trainer. Get the most out of your fitness regimen and tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Ralph Carson about his book, The Brain Fix. We've been covering a lot of uh, material. It's a very exciting uh, field, uh, the brain and the discussions that go with that. And I want folks to uh, also go to AmericanAddictionCenters.org, their website, and you can find uh, Ralph's work there. The program is called FitRx, and it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and it's, a, it's probably one of the best of its kind in the country. And uh, we're going to get him to talk about that a little bit later in this segment. But if you're by your computers, you might check that out so you have a little heads up. When we, dropped, when we stopped, uh, Ralph, we're talking, you said something just absolutely dramatic. I could have heard the drum rolls and the big bada-boom there. <laughs> when you, you said you work at a lot of treatment centers and... Uh, they don't know that one of the most important things for brain health is sugar because we don't think that at all. I don't, and most people don't, I'm sure. So we're going to talk now in this segment about the brain's worst enemies and some, you know, obesity and uh, high blood sugars, cholesterol, you know, lack of exercise, addiction, all those things. But let's follow through with what you said about sugar and explain that. Okay, well, first of all, I want to make it clear that I'm not talking sugar like sugar or simple sugars. I'm talking about this molecule that we as scientists call sugar, which is the simplest form that all carbohydrates break down to, which is called glucose. And glucose is found in sweets, but it's 
more importantly, also found in fruits, it's found in starches, it's found in grains, it's found in vegetables, and um, lots of things. And everything breaks down to glucose. And the reason it's so important for the brain is because that is its fuel, that's its energy. And nothing is going to happen unless there's energy. And so the energy, so we call the brain a pure glycolyzer. That means it only uses as its fuel is pure glucose. And so you can see that a lot of uh, going to a lot of treatment centers and people are on all these diets are going to change their life. They're going to come out perfect and they're going to be healthy mm-hmm. and lose weight. And they'll go on like the paleo diet or the wheat belly diet or the Atkins or low carbohydrate diet. And that's probably what they're really saying if they knew what they were saying. They'd say, I'd like to have this addiction for as long as possible rather than why don't I basically kind of learn nutrition and try to figure out how to keep my blood sugar stable. Not too high, if I had too much sugar gets too high and then drops, but certainly not too low. And so we find by, by spreading out the carbohydrates over the entire day that you're going to constantly have available to you energy when the brain decides to heal. Now, with that in mind, what most people are always alarmed to hear, as I said, there was a kind of a, a four-prong approach, is that you do the therapy, you give it energy in terms of the foods that you eat, you sustain that energy, but it only heals, this whole healing process, this whole changing process occurs while you're sleeping. And that's another thing that I think is lost in a lot of treatment centers is focusing on quality sleep, not just how long you're in the bed, but quality sleep because the only time healing occurs is during the stage of sleep that we term restorative sleep or stage three and four sleep. And that's when your body puts out growth hormone and growth hormone is a hormone that orchestrates all of this healing, whether it's the body or whether it's the brain. So that sleep becomes important and the energy from glucose becomes important, but it has to be a time-releasing effect. So the one message that I constantly try to impose on anybody who's going through a treatment center is that every time that you eat, you want to have a combination of carbohydrate by complex carbohydrate, which means it contains fiber, which will slow the release of that glucose into your system, combined with protein and a small amount of fat. That means that it will sustain your blood sugar for three to four hours, and then you eat again. So you're going to have about four to five, maybe even six feedings, not meals, a day to sustain that blood sugar. And that means that there's always energy available that when your brain heals, specifically at that time of night, and we have these uh, restorative sleep, uh, cycles. So they occur about every 90 minutes in our sleep. And that's why we do most of our healing the three hours before we wake up. And we need to have glucose available then. That doesn't mean getting up out of bed and going and getting a snack. It means that you have enough uh, sustainable uh, stores that get you through that period at night. And where is glucose stored? Is it stored in the liver? Okay, it's stored in two places, and you're absolutely right. The only place it can leave and go to other areas where it's stored is the liver. It's also stored in the muscles, but it will not leave the muscle to go somewhere else. So it's the liver that we're basically focusing on. You've got about five hours of, of glycogen storage there, so you've got to keep it saturated throughout the day, and that's why the eating is such an important component, to keep that liver saturated so when you're asleep at night, it can basically have some in reserve to get you through that healing period. Mm-hmm. So some of the other, some of the your your brain's worst enemies, stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, and depression. Right, and the reason for this is is that when we have and, and and there's a difference between stress. We have acute stress, which is kind of like normal stress in our day. We don't know if we're going to get stuck in traffic. We don't know mm-hmm. if we're going to have a bad day at work and we lose a contract. These things are just wear and tear, and our body's totally capable of kind of doing that. 
uh, coping. But when we have unresolved stress, chronic stress, we put out a chemical, um, simply put, it's called cortisol. So if I take brain cells in the happiness part of the brain and I place them into cortisol, it's going to destroy those. And so it can destroy cells of the brain. It destroys cells in the hippocampus, which is basically the memory center of our brain. So when you have a lot of chronic stress, it's basically tearing down your brain. And that's why, I mean, just to give you an example, when people review the real science behind 12-step, you'll see that four of those steps refer to forgiveness. And they say, well, I know you're only hurting yourself if you don't forgive, but how does that really pan out in terms of neurochemistry? Well, what it does, when you don't forgive, when you're angry, you're hate, you're vindictive, you're jealous, that puts out cortisol, and you're destroying those cells that you've been trying to regenerate through treatment and, and behavior changes. So you want to kind of be able to let go of these stresses or learn to cope with them. Otherwise, it's basically destroying everything you're working to resurrect. Wow, that's pretty powerful. And again, these can be healed, right, and brought back. Absolutely, and I think that's, that's a big part of mindfulness because, you know, we can't change the world, but mindfulness teaches us to sit with it and work through it and be aware of it. And that by doing that, we develop this resilience, and I think that prevents us from putting out cortisol every time a crisis occurs. I mean, it's not going to go away, and we're going to have crisis in our life, but it basically gives us this kind of serenity to kind of deal with that without defeating ourselves. And you talk about, and we're going to, find, you know, we'll finally end up with, with eating disorders, but, uh, you know, the legal drugs and then the not-so-legal drugs, these are really damaging to our, to our brain, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Well, you have, you know, you have the legal drugs that are basically making changes at these synapses, at these connections, and they many times um, change the DNA that processes all the different receptors and chemicals and so forth, and, uh, but... The nice thing is, is that no matter what the damage is, the brain can resurrect itself under most of these conditions. Now, people say, how long will it take? It depends right. on so many things, how long you've had the addiction and, and what your genetics is, et cetera, et cetera. But it certainly gives us this hope that these things can be resurrected. And you go through marijuana and, uh, you know, cocaine, and I think we can all understand. But what about eating disorders? Um, because... Uh, you know, it's, it's often overlooked how damaging, not only physically but psychologically, uh, these diseases can be. Huh? Right. Well, again, you know, just to simply put it in perspective, the English or they range from the probably most serious in terms of, of, of deaths and, and morbidity would be anorexia when a person's starving themselves to move to what we call bulimia nervosa, where a person is binging, but in addition, they're purging, trying to get rid of those calories either through um, laxatives or, or purging or even excessive exercise or starvation. And then we move into the other extreme, which is called binge eating disorder. And all of these have been designed to basically change our chemistry. And so a lot of times they may parallel the similarities to an addiction, but they're, they're really quite unique in themselves. And um, that there's an importance, I think, that we have to differentiate between a chemical addiction and a process addiction. Not so much that there are not parallels, that we could say they're the same thing, but in terms of how does it direct treatment. So the good news about process addictions is those behaviors can be 
resurrected and used again. A person can consume sugar again. A person can have sex with their spouse again. A person can, as a gambler, play Monopoly with their grandchildren. But a person who has a chemical addiction can never have a drink. They can never have cocaine. They can never have heroin. They can never have marijuana. So that's the difference. How does it drive in terms of how we're going to treat that? Is it total abstinence or is it basically trying to modify the brain and correct its behavior yeah. And you and, and this section finishes again with with the brain fix toolbox and um, what are some of the things that you highlight here? Um, I, I think that you know uh, if I just kind of really summarize it really quick in the toolbox, it's it's that we need to have, as I said before, four to six feedings per day, and they have to always have complex carbohydrate, protein, and fat. I think number two, which I won't elaborate on, but we need to concentrate on including into our food pattern what we call omega-3 fatty acids, and these are found either in fish and cold water fish like salmon and tuna, but they can also come from nuts and flaxseed oil. We need to have quality protein so we can basically uh, replace the neurotransmitters, and, uh, but not, we don't need a whole lot of protein. We want to make sure we're well hydrated, and we also want to make sure that we're getting plenty of antioxidants because those can destroy the brain if we have free radicals. And antioxidants are not in necessarily pill form, but they come in highly pigmented fruits and vegetables. So we want to make sure we have five servings of highly pigmented vegetables per day and at least three servings of highly pigmented variety of fruits. And we want to avoid some of the chemicals that um, I've listed in the book. And one of these people will be surprised that is caffeine. Caffeine is a psychogenic drug. It stimulates dopamine. It makes us increase cortisol. It, 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 it basically makes us not have that restorative sleep. So people in recovery really have to revisit caffeine and say, if I'm serious about recovery, maybe I shouldn't be consuming lots of that. Right. And then um, you talked about diets and supplements, and you talked about sugar, but what about salt? Uh, A lot of people, hypertension and all that is a big piece of their recovery. So when we come back, we're going to end up this segment. I want to just talk briefly about salt, and then we're going to talk about some new things that that you're involved in. Again, we're talking with Ralph Carson, and his book is The Brain Fix. And please go to HCI Communications, that's hcibooks.com, or uh, AmericanAddictionCenters.org, and uh, you'll see uh, Ralph's book, and you'll see what he's doing uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, with American Addiction Centers at FitRx. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. We've had a really good hour with... Ralph Carson, we've got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure folks know um, you can go to fitrxbrentwood.com, and that will take you directly to the website, which explains the program down there in Nashville, Tennessee, that Ralph uh, that Ralph runs. And uh, when we cut off, Ralph, we were talking about salt real quick, and then there's another piece in your book about. Um, Going nuts for your brain, and that just caught my attention. Uh, and uh, when I read it, it's, it's really important stuff. Or maybe we touch on that a little bit, and then uh, then we'll talk about your your other programs. Okay. Well, with the salt, real quickly, it's it's mm-hmm. you know it's all about fluid balance in the body, and and everything operates within a fluid medium. And uh, I think people know that you know our our salt content is similar to like in the ocean. And uh, we can get this really out of kilter, not so much by the, just the salt that we add or the salt that's basically what we call sodium chloride, but there's so many um, particulates in our processed foods that contain salts. And so it gets really out of balance, and when you get this fluid imbalance, you can get high blood pressure. High blood pressure causes vascular disease. Vascular disease causes heart problems. It goes on and on. So it's really critical that a person kind of be able to calculate and modify their salt intake. And this has been an issue that I think people are trying to listen to. In fact, women have listened so well to that that they have eliminated adding salt to their food. And now we're seeing a lot of thyroid problems because that is the source of iodine for women in their thyroids. So again, we've got to take a look at if I'm not getting it in the salt that I add, I should be supplementing that floor, uh, that iodine and eating lots of fruits and vegetables. So that's a little bit about salt. Now, with the nut, I think it's fascinating if you see a nut like a walnut growing out of a tree, you'll notice it's covered with the skin. Our heads are covered with the skin. We take the skin right. off, we see a shell, and you see a shell that basically covers the walnut. You break open the walnut, you'll see that the nut inside is connected to the shell with a membrane. You take our brain and cut it, you'll see it's connected to our skull with a membrane. You'll see that the 
brain is divided into halves. We call them hemispheres. You'll see the walnuts divided into halves, two halves. And then you'll see the surface is corrugated. You'll see the surface of the brain is corrugated. And every single one of the nutrients that I talk about in the book that's important for the brain is contained in the nuts. So in a sense, we're all nuts. (laughs) Makes sense to me. (laughs) Very good. You still there, Ralph? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought I lost you yeah, second no, there. I guess I laughed too loud. Yeah, okay. But that, tell, us that, about, tell us about the, you know, the, the, the FitRx program and what you do down, down in Tennessee because uh, this is really, really what you're good at. And well, I think I that you know, I've been in the field of um, obesity for 40 years. And uh, back when I was in my early years and, and uh, working, you know, through the medical program and we treated obesity, we treated it with diets and exercise and weighing. And we got about a 5% success rate of people losing weight and keeping it off back 40 years ago. We look at the data today with all the nuances and diets and everything else, and we get the same results, 5%. So that a real practitioner who cares about getting results is going to say, wait a minute, diets don't work, excessive exercise doesn't help, and that weighing yourself and being obsessed about losing weight is not the answer. So this program that we've designed is designed not to focus on basically counting calories and all these crazy diets, but basically to reduce the stress. And when you reduce the stress and you focus on happiness, the body cooperates with losing weight because it's willing to let go of that weight. And so we do a lot of uh, basically working on trauma, attachment issues, um, depression, anxiety, and to reduce the cortisol and stress. We make eating so it's livable and people are enjoying their food. And when they're satisfied, there's not this craving and there's not this overconsumption mm-hmm. of food. And then the exercise is not like just kind of go at it 100% sweat and be in pain, but basically to add it to your life, make it a part of your life, be active the whole day, don't spend a whole lot of time sitting, and enjoy it. We call it joyful movement and physical wellness. And then we focus on sleep because you're going to read a lot in the future. Already there's a lot on it in terms of how sleep, basically poor sleep, causes people to lose weight and makes them unavailable, uh, impossible to lose weight. We deal with the microbiota in the intestinal tract, which is a real contributor to absorbing calories inefficiently. Uh, and then uh, you know, we deal with the medical aspects. So we're really focused on making a person healthy. What that number on the scale is is not a true representation of whether you're healthy. So we're doing inflammation markers. We're doing endocrine markers, and we're really making this uh, movement. And a lot of people are getting a lot of results. It's just a new type of approach. So people are a little bit, well, I think I'll stick to the dieting and continue to fail. Uh-huh. But they just gave themselves the opportunity to say, wow, this makes sense. Let me investigate this. I think they would be quite surprised about how valuable it is. And we've been able to take this one step further, and we're working. If you were to look at the occupations that have the highest incidence of health problems due to size, number one is people who are transit workers like truck drivers. Number two are policemen, first responders, and firefighters. And then you're going to see a whole lot that's just coming out about preachers and ministers. And so we basically are designed to get these people fit for duty. That means back into a healthy state of mind and to be quality, qualified workers in their, in their occupations. So um, we just kind of do a lot of nuances that when people take a look, that that's exactly what I need. I need this program. And it's covered by insurance because we, we cover under the heading called binge eating disorder, which is just came as a diagnostic term that's covered by insurance as of uh, May of 2013, which we call DSM-5. So it's covered by insurance. It's a program that basically addresses all a person's need, and people are just 
mesmerized by how successful they are kind of taking this approach. What would be the best way if, if people had some questions about FitRx uh, uh, or American Addiction Centers? What's the best way? And, and also, can, can folks directly contact you with questions? Well, I, I tell you what. I think if they contact um, either American Addiction Centers or FitRx, they can get, and this will be sent to them weekly. I send out a newsletter that kind of translates all the new research, hopefully into kind of understandable terms that you can apply to your life, this newsletter. Mm-hmm. You get on that newsletter, and then through that newsletter, they can ask questions, and they can go to the archives and see topics that really apply to them in terms of their health. So I think that'd be the best approach to it, to basically just call into American Addiction Centers or email into them or to FitRx and then get on that newsletter. And then through that, they can ask questions and, and, um, and uh, we'll respond. And just finally, I, I really want to thank you, and, and Westbridge wants to thank you as well uh, for all the information you gave us today. And your book, The Brain Fix, is really... Uh, is really a must-read for anyone in recovery, anybody that works in the field. Uh, it's interesting that you closed the book with a little bit about, about spirituality. And, uh, you know, we started with the three, the three uh, components of our brain, you know, the first, the second, and the third uh, piece as we, as we grew through time. But how important is the spirituality piece, uh, do you believe? And, and, and you see evidence of that, I'm sure. Well, I, I think, it, and I, again, I'll, I'll repeat something I said, and this is where the spirituality comes in, is that nothing changes in the brain unless you believe it. And when you talk about belief, you need assurance of that belief, and that comes in the spirituality. This is something that is, is beyond, we, we would call it transcending, that's bigger than us. Uh, in terms of, of uh, will this happen? And sometimes we can kind of put that into perspective and we look at others that are successful. We say, okay, because they're successful, I know that there's hope for me. So that hope and that belief in that hope and that assurance of that belief, that's really what spirituality is. And it's yeah. taking us out of ourselves and into this kind of a um, one with the universe, that we all work together. And when we begin to help and assist others, that's where spirituality takes place. So as we move into that primitive part of the brain, we move away from the relationships. As we move back into recovery, we move into relationships and in interconnectedness with one another. And that is really what really causes the healing. So when we send people out from our center, whether they're 30, 60, or 90 days, their success is going to be their connectedness to the community of, of recovering individuals. Um, Ralph Carson, we thank you very, very much, and everybody that tuned in today. Uh, please, please stay tuned in to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods. We'll see you next time. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.